Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. And welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about victim consent and gossip. But before we jump into that content, I want to talk to you a little bit about PeaceWorks University. So PeaceWorks University is our online membership community. And, you know, week after week, I come on here and talk to you about the benefits of PeaceWorks U. And it's still true. PeaceWorks University is your best next step if you're benefiting from the things you're hearing here on the PeaceWorks podcast. Uh, So if you'd like to learn more about all the wonderful resources that we have over at PeaceWorks University, like our vault of masterclasses with experts in the field, our success paths, our community, our monthly Q&As, our shepherding team roundtables, and all the other things that you uh, will find in PeaceWorks University, you can learn more about that at chrismoles.org. We'd love to have you be a part of PeaceWorks University. Okay, friends, so our question for this episode is about victim consent. Uh, This may take um, more than one episode. We'll just see. Uh, The question goes, what is the biblical precedent for only confronting an abuser after receiving clear consent from the victim? So a lot going on in the question. So let's just walk through it uh, briefly here. Um, What is the biblical precedent? So the questioner, I think is wanting uh, a passage or a verse, you know, chapter verse about uh, why so many people in the work um, want victim consent before they confront an abusive partner. So that's element number one. Um, Element number two, uh, for only confronting an abusive partner after receiving clear consent from the victim. So I think there's two aspects to the question I want to just, I don't know if clean up's the right word, but I think I want to quant, you know, qualify a little bit or expand a little bit. Uh, I, I want to be careful. I don't think any of us are saying only that you can only confront uh, with victim consent. And, um, you know, I think the word clear here is the idea that, you know, the victim has to sign off on every aspect of confrontation. Um, and, and I'm not sure that's what's being taught either. So maybe for the sake of um, being the most helpful, let's just take a pragmatic response really quickly and and talk about why we discuss consent. And I think that would be based on wisdom, which is a biblical principle, and best practices, which is kind of the observable uh, realities of the work. And I really wanted to give some caveats here that what I think the questioner is referring to is that most of us in the work would say, when you get a disclosure of abuse, let's say you're um, a pastor in your study and a a victim comes to you, a wife comes to you and discloses abuse. Um, First of all, it's, it's going to take the form or it should take the form of more than just pastor Chris, I'm being abused because that statement begs a lot of compassion, um, a lot of patience, but also a lot of questions. I'm really sorry to hear that. 
help me understand what you mean by that. Walk me through what it is to be abused. When you say I'm being abused, what does that mean? And just taking the time to really understanding uh, what it is that this person is experiencing and what it is that they're attempting to communicate to you and what it is that they want from you uh, would be a helpful first step. And so those of us in the work, we will say that it is important based on wisdom and best practices to say, we don't want to run ahead of a victim until A, we have a clear understanding of what they're communicating and B, we have a clear plan for safety before we move forward. And victim consent is the best route to safety. That, that's been our, our observation that we want to provide for the individual's safety. So I get the disclosure, Pastor, I'm being abused. Tell me more about that. And I learn of a longstanding, what uh, some might label emotional abuse, decades of name-calling and ridicule and gaslighting and isolation and intimidation that has erupted only once into physical violence in a decade, let's say. So I'm dealing with a case where I don't see an immediate threat of danger or loss of life, although it's always a potential, right? But in the discussion, there was a physical episode that happened, say, six years ago. And since that time, there hasn't been another physical episode, but intimidation has been a large part of his behavior. So has ridicule. And now this individual is just feeling beat down. And they're coming to me for help. Yes, I don't have a chapter verse that says don't immediately go confront the other individual. All I have is wisdom and best practices that, that I do think takes the form of biblical principles, understanding the, the principles of wisdom. And I do think there's an issue here of the letter of the law sometimes outpacing the spirit of the law in our churches where we run ahead to follow bullet points of prescribed conflict resolution rather than, you know, patiently waiting and learning. Um, because in the learning and in the waiting, when people are relatively safe, it gives us an opportunity to craft a response that's most effective. And so in the scenario that I've laid out, a disclosure, a disclosure of, of long-term uh, emotional, psychological, um, an instance of physical abuse and intimidation has been disclosed over like a decade with, what did I say, six years ago there being a, a physical episode. So I'm learning what this individual wants from me as well. And I, I do find that they want uh, help. They want their partner confronted. And so some of my next questions are going to be, how do we do that safely? Because to simply run ahead and immediately confront or immediately challenge opens up all kinds of possible landmines for me as a helper, for this person giving the disclosure, and even for the individual doing the harm. And so I, I want to think, um, I want to get counsel if possible uh, to really think about how I'm going to do this and do it effectively uh, to help both parties. And so I do think there is a, a, a notion where or a thought where, okay, Chris, but Matthew 18 
seems to have an immediacy to it. And I wouldn't disagree. It seems to be, if this doesn't happen, then go get help. Um, but I don't know that Matthew 18 is demanding that we we work with such expediency that we don't listen. Um, and I'm not sure Matthew 18 is so ironclad that we can't take the time uh, to talk, uh, take the time to learn and to plan, especially when someone's safety is in jeopardy. We could use like biblical narratives and examples of individuals who use discernment in how they confronted evil, how they responded to evil, um, I guess, to form a biblical framework for this. Um, but I think it's sufficient. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I should get a little bit of heat for this. I don't know. I think it is. I think wisdom and safety are sufficient reasons to listen, uh, to go through all the options, to develop a safety plan, and to get victim consent before you confront. Now, to the questioner's point, I think there's a there's a notion or a thought within the question that you can only confront with victim consent. And I do think there are many, many exceptions to that based on the same principles of wisdom, discernment, and best practices. So if if I witness my neighbor chasing his wife across the road uh, with a weapon, I think it's um, entirely um desirable to intervene. I also think that law enforcement intervenement, uh, intervention is necessary at that point because that's the safest response is to eliminate this immediate threat. And then we can kind of sort through the details later. And I, and I think that is necessary because there's going to add a lot of complexities for sure. But to me, the complexities of the confrontation are totally worth the risk because of the need for safety. Uh, if I received a disclosure, let's go back to my story. If this disclosure had a incident of strangulation that morning, she fled to my office after an incident of strangulation that morning, my response is going to be much more, I don't know if intentional is the right word, but deliberately moving towards intervention. I, I think that it raises this level of concern, again, discernment, I'm discerning the situation to say, okay, your safety is in such jeopardy. I think we need an immediate response. Um, here's the work I'd like to do. I'd like to build a, a plan for your future safety. I'd like to incorporate a team. I'd like to make sure that we involve other people in this process. I'd like it to happen by the end of the day. Uh, what does that look like for you? And I think because of the risk, we can um, certainly um, speed up the process, if that's making any sense. What, what, the, what the pushback seems to be, and I don't know if this is in the heart of the question or not, is when you have like my first scenario where a person's life does not seem to be in immediate jeopardy, where there, there seems to be wisdom in discerning the situation and waiting to confront to, until you have victim consent and a, an individual who's willing to walk through a process with you there seems to be this notion that in the meantime, uh, we're gossiping, that what's happening in the pastoral study, because we're not immediately running to the other party, either to confront or to clarify that what's taking place in the pastoral study is gossip. And I would say that that's 
again, one of those, I wonder if our adherement to the letter of the law is like running ahead of the spirit of the law, right? Because the Bible does forbid gossip. I mean, we're all going to be in agreement with that. Gossip is not a, um, a practice that we should be participating in as believers, but the Bible also describes gossip. It also gives clarity on aspects of gossip that seem to, and again, I, I'm willing to be corrected on this. It seems to be far more about the person than it does the pattern. In other words, it's the gossiper that is most referenced in scripture, not the content of the speech. And so places like Proverbs, for instance, chapter 11, chapter 20, chapter 26, they all describe gossip in terms of slander or um, speech that's untrustworthy. First Timothy does the same thing. Uh, Paul describes Timoth- uh, to Timothy individuals who are busybodies or um, meddlesome. There's a sense in which gossip has an intent to harm, that it's speech about an individual outside their presence that's untrustworthy. Now, I want to pause for a minute because I've heard this from Christians, right, who and this is a good excuse for a Christian who likes to gossip. It's not gossip. What I'm saying is true. Untrustworthy is not the same as untrue. It can be true information, but the person you're receiving the information from is untrustworthy because their intent is not to help the individual. Their intent is to harm the individual. Gossip biblically, again, seems to be more concerned with the speaker than the content of his speech. Gossip is a person who presents a bad report with a desire to harm. And I think that's true. Of course we would be forbidden from doing that. But an individual who's seeking help because of fear or threat or the inability within themselves to curb or um, subdue the behavior that's being enacted against them is not speech with an ill intent to harm another person. It's not bringing a bad report with the intent of harming another person. It's bringing a report of bad news with the intent of seeking help and hopefully also helping the other person. So when we have this, this back and forth about victim consent, I think what we're talking about in the work is not necessarily wholesale victim control of the process. But we are talking about respecting the individual's safety, respecting the individual's sanity, respecting the individual's um, desires, and, and understanding that when we're presented with cases of domestic abuse, they are complex, they are intertwined, they are dangerous, and at the same time, it, they are not our story. I do not know in every case, what is most safe or best for a victim. I only respond in what I discern or what we as a team discern to be the best practice to help them. That's the goal. How do we help them in the face of another individual using their influence to incapacitate them, to harm them, to diminish them, or to destroy them? And so we step into that world where, one, we're able, two, we're allowed, and three, we're effective. And that's going to be different 
in every case that we work. And so, yeah, I witness violence. I want to intervene immediately. I receive a report of recent or impending violence that could lead to, to death or great harm. I'm going to pursue intervention quickly. I receive a report of long-standing coercion, control, like the, the story I gave earlier, one incident of physical abuse in the, in the past. I see a great deal of danger, but I want to make sure I'm proceeding in a way that's best for the individual seeking my help and best for confronting the individual who needs hope. And I don't think that's always immediate. So I do apologize to answer the question. I, I don't have a biblical precedent or a formula, a biblical framework for how and when we confront abuse in the home. I don't. But I do think the Lord has given us wisdom principles. He's given us um, illustrations of people in his word making decisions based on discernment. He's given us the tools of discernment, his word, his spirit, and his family, his church, to process that in a way that I think is going to be most helpful for folks. And so I wish I could come with a formula. And so, but the problem is it's not one size fits all, right? So we would say we want to use discernment, best practices, and wisdom for confronting abuse in the spirit of the law. We don't want to be trapped by um, a letter of the law approach that may put people in greater harm. So again, one of the pushbacks is when you don't speak immediately, you could fall victim to gossip. I don't think uh, that's true based on what I see gossip to be as a sin within the scriptures. Uh, I actually think it's a responsible, wise thing to do to plan, especially when people are in harm's way. And in particular, when someone uh, in authority uh, is abusing something that God has given them, like a husband or a pastor or a leader, it's important to have a process uh, and to walk through that process and to plan for how you're going to be ministering to this family. I know that's a lot. It probably did not effectively answer the question. So I think we might need to revisit that one um, and maybe do a little bit more research and revisit a little bit more about victim consent. Again, for me, it's a wisdom play. It's a discernment play based upon what is happening in real time. Uh, I also think there's, we're not in danger of falling into the sinful category of gossip uh, because the intent and motivation of our hearts, the desire outcome that we have, uh, and the nature of gossip itself, uh, as you see in Scripture. So, Hope that's helpful, guys. I appreciate everybody who tunes into the PeaceWorks podcast. I appreciate your patience with us as we wrestle through hard questions, uh, as we think through difficult situations. Uh, and again, I appreciate everybody who participates uh, here weekly. If you're listening on a major platform, would you help us out? Rate, review, subscribe. I'll let people know that you listen to the PeaceWorks podcast. Uh, if you'd like to learn more, uh, if you'd like to take the next step, then go to chrismoles.org and learn more about PeaceWorks University. All right, guys. Thank you so much for being part of the PeaceWorks podcast. Until next time, God bless.